everyone, and welcome back to the Throwback Book Stack. If you haven't listened before, we're a podcast, obviously, since you're listening to us in a podcast format. And we talk about the books that we read as kids, that we loved as kids, and that we're now going back as adults and rereading and looking at through fresh eyes, the eyes of judgment, the eyes of knowledge, of wisdom, of 20 years of alcohol consumption. I guess not that many. 15? I am one of your hosts, Kelly. And I am Emily. And this week we are actually doing something we have not done yet. Uh, We are going back to a second book in a series that we have already covered one of the books in. Uh, Our first episode, our very, very first episode, was Patricia Reedy's Dealing with Dragons. And so today we're actually going to take a look at the last book in the series. We are reading Patricia Reedy's Talking to Dragons. She wrote this book in 1985, and it was actually the first of the Enchanted Forest Chronicles books, Um, but it ended up being the last chronologically, so it's technically last in the series. And they actually went back in 1995 and revised it to make it make a bit more sense and be a little bit more cohesive with the rest of the series. So in 95, they did make a couple tweaks, both in terms of adjusting some, a little bit of the language, a little bit of the punctuation, but they also did bring in a couple elements that hadn't really been dwelled on before and change some of the wording and a little bit of the mythology to actually make it fit where she ended up going with the rest of the series because this was not originally envisioned as a series. Um, so the first book that we read dealing with dragons was about Cimmerine and her adventures with the dragon Kazool. And now we kind of see where she ends up in life. It's very exciting. You don't look excited. I'm so excited. Um, let me do the summary. Yeah, I think, yeah, if you want to summarize so, this book for us. I, I'm going to, normally I take notes on the book and I consult my book notes for the summary. I'm going to try and see if I can do this all from memory. So let's see how this goes. So this book starts out, it is from the point of view of a young man named Daystar. And cool is, name. Definitely uh, a name from the internet. He is around 17, 16 years old. Definitely a name of a 16-year-old boy, yes. Uh, And he lives on the outskirts of the Enchanted Forest with his mom, and he's had kind of an unusual upbringing. It's just been the two of them, basically, and the occasional, like, person wandering through. And she's been very, not strict, but very pointed in that he learned a lot of things that were kind of unusual for a young man growing up on the edge of the Enchanted Forest to learn. He's learned sword fighting from her, he's learned history, and like he makes an essential point that she taught him to be polite all the time, always to everyone, but especially with dragons. And so one day, it's just like a normal day, and suddenly a wizard walks up to the house and basically like threatens her mom. Her mom is very unimpressed, and with like barely even breaking from storing their dinner, like melts this wizard. <laughs> And Daystar is kind of like, I did not know my mom could do that. What the hell is going on? And so while he's dealing with cleaning up the remains of this melted mess, she takes the wizard staff and hides it or does something with it and then goes into the forest, which he's also never seen her do, and comes back out with this like crazy magic sword. And he's like, what is happening? And she's basically like, uh... I can't really tell you what's happening, but let's just say that your time has come. Take the sword, go into the forest, have fun. And he's like, what? I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. And she's like, yeah, you'll get it. It's cool. Bye. (laughs) So anyway, he starts off into the forest to have his adventure. Um, Along the way, pretty quickly, he meets a girl named Shara. 
who is a something called a fire witch, which is someone who's like born with natural magic abilities and especially fire abilities in particular. And so he meets up with her and learns her story, which is basically that her magic has always been kind of uncontrollable. Like she hasn't had a good grasp over it. And one time these wizards from the Society of Wizards kind of like cornered her and wanted to like basically study her. And she lost her temper and burned the head wizard's staff, which is like crazy hard to do. And so, of course, they all were like, what? And they're now, like, chasing her, and she got lost in the Enchanted Forest, running away from them. So they get along pretty good, despite the fact that she kind of has a little bit of a temper. And they decide to kind of travel together, because they decide that it's better this way. Um, so the rest of their adventures are off in the woods. They meet up with a bunch of people. There's, like, a lot of dangers. So at one point, they get... In to a fight with someone and Daystar gets his hand burnt which leads them to going to a witch named Morwen's house and they meet her who seems to know a little bit more and kind of point them in the right direction, fix them up, give them some food, tell them where to go. Um, from her directions they run into like like a lost princess and her knight which in turn attracts a dragon this whole thing is kind of messy <laughs> but it's basically just like it's jumping from place to place of thing happening but um they meet like a princess in the night and a dragon and the dragon is just like a baby um in this world when dragons are younger they don't have a name or a gender so it's literally just referred to as the dragon the whole time they get along with the dragon, they kind of help the princess and the knight and send them on the way. They get along with the dragon, another wizard appears. There's always wizards appearing that are either after Daystar or Shiara or both. The particular wizard, I don't think I said this, at the very beginning who his mom melted, his name is Antarel, and he in particular keeps popping up. So Antarel shows up, they fight him, the dragon decides to come with them, keep wandering, they find like an invisible castle, Shara gets turned into stone by an evil witch, Daystar kisses her and she like breaks the curse and she gets back to life. They run into a magician named Telmane, who also seems to know a little bit more about what's happening. Uh, there's like a little lizard named Suz who keeps popping up every once in a while who says, like, cryptic things and then disappears. Telemane tells them, well, everyone has kind of been telling them that they need to go see Kazool, but they don't know who Kazool is, really, until the little dragon meets them and tells them Kazool is the king of dragons. And even then, none of them are really sure why they're meeting her, but they think it has something to do with the sword, which is, like, very obviously important and, like, crazy magic. Telemane tells them to take a shortcut through these, like, magic caves. So, like, they go through the caves where they meet... Did they meet the wizard again in there? <laughs> no, right the... in front of the caves they yeah. meet the wizard. There's wizards all over the place. There's and... a lot of things in that cave. Uh, they... And there are... Every time they turn a corner, there's just fucking wizards. Yeah. Uh, so they go through the caves. There's, like, a bunch of dangers in the caves that they have to fight. Uh, Shiara gets her arm broken. They make it out of the caves. There's a goo. Thanks to... Yeah. We'll get to that later. Okay. <laughs> Uh, they make it out of the caves, uh, and that's where they meet, like, all the dragons who are all gathered. 
And they meet Kazool finally, who tells them to get ready for the war. Wait, how do we get to the goo later? The goo is in the cave. I was going to mention it later. It's okay. one of the many problems in the cave. I mean, <laughs> yeah, there's like a goo monster in the cave. It protects the key. Yes. Oh, they find a key in the cave. That's important. Yeah, is A it? goo monster protects it. Oh. Why are you being rude to the goo monster? I like the goo monster a lot. I just didn't think it was worth... It's no more or less important than any other monster thing they meet in the cave. Rude. Well, it isn't. I don't know. I mean, I liked it. I thought it was one of the funnest parts, but... What? <laughs> Keep going. They get out. All the dragons are there. Kazool tells them to, like, prepare for the war that's going to start. Like, the war between the wizards and the dragons. Part two. And then she explains the plan, which is basically that the king of the Enchanted Forest 17 years ago was... There was a war, basically, where the wizards kept trying to seal the sword... Because the sword helps protect the Enchanted Forest from the wizards taking the magic out of it. And the wizards managed to steal the sword and then put the king like in an enchanted spell. But they couldn't kill him. Because reasons. But then like the dragon side and Cimarron, his mom in particular, stole the sword back. So now the wizards still want the sword and they also think they can use the sword to finally kill the king and if they kill the king then they can take over the forest and use it for whatever they want and like steal all the magic out of it so they put a spell no one knows what kind of spell but they did something to the king so that he's trapped in the castle and then they put this giant bubble shield above the castle and around it um, and so the dragons made their own, like, bubble shield, and they put that around the wizard's bubble shield so that the wizards can't get to their shield, which is kind of hilarious. And then Kazool explains that they've been waiting for someone who could actually, like, use the sword. No, not just anyone can use it, but he has clearly shown that he can and that the sword, like, responds to him and works for him. And so tomorrow, when the war starts, what they're going to do is the dragons are going to take their shield down, and then he's going to use the sword to destroy the wizard's shield. And then he's going to go inside and find the king <laughs> and break the spell. And then, I mean, that's kind of as far as the plan goes. Yeah. <laughs> like, I guess they just assume by then they'll have killed all the wizards. Like... So that's the plan, and Shira agrees to, or agrees, like, says she'll go with him so he won't be in the castle alone. And so, like, honestly, that's pretty much how it goes down. Like, they take down the shield, and then he, like, hits the other, the wizard's shield with his sword, and it breaks it. And then he runs into the castle, and then it's trying to find the king. But by the time he finds them, the, some of the wizards, including Antarel, have gotten in, and so then it's a fight with them. Both fighting with them and at the same time trying to figure out where the king is because none of them know, including the wizards. Yeah. Because the wizard who had originally, like, captured and enchanted the king has died. <laughs> like, died immediately after he did that. And so it's been 17 years, so none of them know. So it's just, like, all of them, like, fighting slash trying to figure this out. But Daystar actually figures it out and he, like, breaks the spell 
And the king appears, and the king is his father, which he instantly recognizes. I had to assume it's because he looks exactly like him, but older? I guess, because that made no damn sense. <laughs> um, and so they finish, like, together with the help of the king and the other people who have gotten in the castle, like Morwen and Telmain. They kind of finish gathering up the wizards slash capturing them. Um, and they go outside, and they've captured... And Terrell, like, the one who keeps popping up and trying to kill them. And they have him captured, but he, like, somehow manages to, like, do a spell in the background when no one is noticing, where he summons a demon and sends it after uh, Daystar's mom, who has, like, appeared at the end of the battle. She came. Daystar, like, does something. Like, he suddenly has magic, and he sends the demon away and Antorell away. And they're all like, uh, what? And the king is like, yep, that's what happens when the sword recognizes you. <laughs> like, you suddenly can use all the magic of the enchanted forest. And then that's basically it. It, like, wraps up a little, like, they kind of explain to Daystar all the backstory. Which, I don't know if I want to get into. It's basically, it's I all wouldn't. the other books, basically. Yeah. <laughs> they, the backstory is called Read All the Other Books. Right. And then they, which, I mean, they do a really good job of summarizing three books and, like, a page and a half yeah but uh so they explain to daystar the whole story about like how this came about and how his dad was captured and who his mom is like it turns out she was kazool's princess as we said see um, episode one of our podcast morwen and telmain decide to get married which is honestly the best part of this entire book uh, <laughs> uh and then shiara decides that oh and they figure out that daystar and the sword accidentally like, basically did a thing to Shiara because Daystar always wanted her to be more polite and not, like, lose her temper at everyone. And so they accidentally put some sort of spell on her where she can use her magic, but only if she's been polite to someone. I hate this so much. And so they just, like, figure that out, and his mom agrees that she's going to help Shiara figure out how to break that so that she doesn't have to be polite to use her magic. Good. Um... They decide that until then, Shiara is going to be Kazul's new princess, because that's a good place to put a girl who doesn't fit a lot of regular molds, I guess, in this world. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, I think the that covers everything. Kind of ends. So you read this book as a kid. Um, I did not. So what were your memories of this book? Why did you want to hit this one up as well? Yeah, so I read this whole series when I was a kid. And to be honest, this book was probably my least favorite in the series. However, the reason I wanted to read it was because I was kind of interested when we read the first one, it was the first time I found out that this book had been written first. And I kind of wanted to read it instead of like in order the series, just like by itself and see if it holds up as like, because she wrote it again, not thinking it would be part of a series, like mm -hmm. thinking it would be part of a stand, like it would be a standalone book. And I wanted to see if, like, coming at it from that point of view, like, if you haven't read the other books, like, does this make sense? Is it a good story? Because, like, when I was a kid, I liked it. Like, I definitely read it a lot. But I read it a lot because, as a kid, I liked knowing how things ended. So, like, I would skip a lot of this book because I just liked the ending. Like, I like seeing what happened to Simran and Kazul and Mendebar and... Oh, Mendebar is the name of his dad, the king. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I picked that up from when they mentioned it. Yeah. 
They only, they literally only say it once in this book. Yeah, I, yeah. When it came up, I was like, who? Oh, that's, that's the king's real name. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I wanted to see what happened to these characters. Uh, and I was interested to see, yeah, if it does, if it does hold up if you haven't read the rest of the series. Well, I mean, now that we've read it, did it hold up for you? Do you think that it achieved that goal? Oh, you're shaking your head. Not you're really. shaking your head. Not really. And... I'm interested to see what you thought because you, you've read the first one, but you haven't read the other two. And I'm interested to see what you thought because for me, this is the weakest book in the series by far. Um, so uh, what did you think? Have you never read it? I'm now super grumpy that you gave me a book that you're like, yep, worst one in the series. <laughs> Definitely handing this to Kelly. Well, and this you is wonder why I am giving you books about boys on mountains. This is payback for all the nature books you made me read. Which is payback for all the sad books you make me read. You like those sad books. No, I don't. They're sad. <laughs> I was. I am a joyous individual with a heart full of happiness and lightness, and you drag it down. This not a punishment this was no. more like a social experiment <laughs> or uh, i guess just experiment yeah um so reading this book it was definitely really really clear that this was written before dealing with dragons dealing with dragons takes a lot of what this is, book is doing and does it so much better like you can see how dealing with dragons came out of this like there's the origin of so many ideas just not done great like done good but not in a fashion that is nearly as engaging as dealing with dragons so i do kind of hate that i read this second because it's so apparent um like i mean the big one that came up is really dealing with dragons is so heavily about the difference between this girl simmering and the expectations people put on her the expectations of princes and princesses it really delves heavily with the role of fairy tale the role of societal expectations in a way that's really fun and charming and engaging and they kind of try to do that with the princess and the prince in here. It's obviously the protoform. This is, you know, this is the Charmander and the beautiful Charizard of dealing with dragons is not here for us yet. I don't get that reference. It's Pokemans. I refuse to get that reference. <laughs> but yeah, so like you can definitely see the origin of her humor. You can see the origin of like her characters. But Simmerine's such a better character than Daystar that the two protagonists, it's just so apparent daystar doesn't really have a strong personality well simmering you're so clear on who she is and who her what her goals are and you can very clearly see from basically everything about her dialogue who she is what she stands for how she interacts with the world around her the writing is so tight and her characterization is so strong daystar is just super blah he has some great characters around him i really like shiara i really like um, a lot of the characters he's around, but he himself is just kind of like blah hero. Hello, I'm a blah hero. Um, there was a lot of clever stuff I liked. I mean, I really enjoyed the fact that they gave a reason why you couldn't tell. It was a stupid reason, but it was still a reason. The reason why you couldn't tell him about the sword was basically the wizards have the ability to find this uh, people that have the sword in the enchanted force if they know what they're looking for, which is like, bizarre but i like that they put an explanation of we can't tell you because if you know you are somehow trackable by wizards like okay i'll buy that in the way they use magic in this book it made sense sort of yeah. i bought it yeah it was weird that is one of the reasons i don't think it ever comes up in any of the other books yeah maybe it does and i don't remember but um, it was just daystar's blah i will say about daystar that she 
never wrote a book that comes after this sequentially, but in one book of short stories, and I'm not even sure it was all her short stories, maybe it was, um, she does have a short story about, like, Simran and Mendenbar and Daystar all living together in the castle, like, after this whole thing goes down. Huh. It's cute and funny and well-written, and from the point of view, like, these are all in, like, third-person mm-hmm. narrative, so it's from the point of view of, like, kind of no one, but also kind of Cimarron, and Daystar comes off a lot better, possibly because it was written later and she's gotten better at writing people, Yeah. but also I liked him more from someone else's point of view. And where, I can like, see that. A lot of the things that are kind of boring about him when you're reading him, like how he's, like, very very quiet and like obsessed with being polite are actually like kind of funny and interesting when he's like the character like he's kind of like uh legolas in lord of the rings when he's the character (laughs) on the outside just like watching these like things and being like "Uh uh-huh thank you very much and like walking away and like like he's almost a better like straight man than he is like the main person whose eyes you're seeing everything out of i can definitely see that i think that would make a lot of sense because yeah i think he, there is a lot about him that's charming with how polite and proper he is that is really fun in relation to other characters but when it's sort of his point of view telling you about things it just doesn't work also i just it gets back to ella enchanted all things in life get back to Ella Enchanted. But the whole accidentally putting a politeness spell on her so she can't use her powers really except when she's polite just makes my skin crawl off my body. I know this book was written in 1985. That was 30 some odd years ago. I get that. Intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, I get it. But my heart just cringes whenever it's like, Guy inadvertently forces a woman into being polite is just skin crawly. And I don't, I I, just hate it as a narrative point. I will give them two things, which is one, that no one, including Daystar, thinks this is a bad or a good thing whenever they find out. Like, even he is horrified and is like, I'm so sorry, I did not mean. Oh, yeah. So, like, they definitely don't think it's a good thing. And they're immediately like, we're going to get this undone yeah and the only other thing is is that like he is a little overly obsessed with being polite but i will also give him that the reasoning is because he lives in a place where people will kill you if you're not oh totally it all (laughs) makes sense also is a little like it was more for her safety than that he actually minds Absolutely, but it still makes my body seize up. Yeah, yeah. It still makes my heart shriek inside my chest. Like, intellectually, it all makes sense and is fine. Emotionally, I just, I hate it. Like, I can't help my visceral reaction of hatred. I don't know. I mean, it's not great, but it's also, like, you can see that Daystar, aside from not wanting her to get, like, killed, likes her and likes the fact that she's mean and says things and like i think sometimes says the things that he's too scared to i don't know that plot point was just kind of weird and kind of like i it was only there because they needed a reason for her powers to sometimes not work yeah and i think that was the big thing with this book is that you would definitely see that she was newer at writing when she did this because there were so many plot points where i could see why they did them they needed that to get from point a to point b but they didn't sell it enough. Like it didn't, it didn't, it felt like once it got them to point B, it didn't always continue to serve things in a strong way. And there's just, yeah, there's a lot of sort of dangling threads. Like there was a kitten. There was a kitten the whole time. It was Chekhov's kitten. 
Nightwitch is Chekhov's kitten. I kept waiting for the kitten to do something. At one point, I thought the kitten might be the king. I was like, maybe the king of the enchanted forest was put in this form of this kitten. Uh, I did not see, and that's interesting because I did not ever think that. But I also read these books in order, and in so I'm going to tell you like some slight spoilers. About tell me issue. why Nightwitch is important. I have to know. Well, she's not that she's important, but it's um. So the second book, which I think is actually my favorite out of the entire series, uh-huh. is from the point of view of Mendenbar, uh-huh. the king of the enchanted forest. And I will say, it's the book where he meets Cimarron and, like, falls in love. I think that's the reason it's my favorite, because so much of it is about her. Mm-hmm. But in even in the one where it's her point of view, like, she's focused on other people. Yeah. And that whole book is just like, look how badass this chick is. <laughs> and, like, I love her, so. Fair. And he's great, too. And then the third book is from Morwen's point of view. And does it tell us about this kitten? It does not tell us about this Oh, my this God. Kitten. But my point was, Kelly, is that... You know how she always has those cats around? Yes. And, like, she acts like she's talking to them, but we can never hear what they're saying? Yes. So in that book, you can hear what they're saying. Oh, I do like that. Yeah. And so I didn't think it was Chekhov's kitten. I just thought it was, like, oh, this makes sense because we had all those cats in that other book. So this is, like... But, like, they give her a kitten. Kind of a continuation of that. They give her a kitten. She brings the kitten with her the whole time. She already carries the kitten through a fucking cave when they're climbing down ropes. Like... This kitten has brought really fucking far for it to have no point. Like, even been like, oh, the kitten is, you know, steals the key back accidentally to play with it. And they're like, the kitten discovers. There had to be the kitten to do something. She does do something. She does a couple of things. There's, like, the one time where she, like, attacks Suz and forces Shara to apologize to him, which, like, leads to that. She, like, runs and attacks a wizard during the fight. She, like... But none of that justifies the sheer amount of times that they reference, like, looking around for Nightwitch after a fight or something. Or, like, where'd the cat go? Oh, the cat's over there. Like, the amount of concern they had at any given point for where the cat is, which, to be fair, I fucking love cats, as established in this podcast in my life, was a lot for that cat to never actually really have an impactful moment i wanted this fucking Chekhov's kitten to do something a honestly never noticed that they spend a lot of time talking about the cat oh my god so much time i do think that she does a lot like i feel like there's at least like two other instances i can't think of where it's like oh the kitten did something again in the fight not really yeah i got annoyed for the opposite reason i thought (sighs) the cat did too much um going back to plot points so i just want to read these two parts from the introduction okay which is how she started writing this book, which was, um, she was talking about finding a title for her other book that she'd already written and was getting published. Uh, my friend got tired of listening to complaints and in order to distract me, asked for some of the good titles. I rattled off four or five, among which was Talking to Dragons. Talking to Dragons sounds like a great book, my friend said. You should write that one. I don't have a story to go with it. It's just a title. I grouched. That's my whole problem. The conversation and the party moved on, but I kept thinking about that comment. It flowed up again when I was driving home. Talking to dragons, I thought. That does sound like a good story. (laughs) Mother taught me to be polite dragons. Hey, that should be the first line. And then a little bit farther down, she says, about writing this book. Until somewhere between half and two-thirds of the way through the book, I didn't know if I was going to have a story or just a lot of random incidents. So I think that kind of sums up a lot of the problems with this book in general. Yeah. Is that her other books in the series, I think, and you can see hints of it in this. Uh, You see flashes of, like, wittiness or cleverness or whatever, but her other books are so much better at it. 
And I think it's because they had a point, and their point was to make everything in this book make sense. Uh, <laughs> so we can be thankful to this book. This book gave us other, better, good books. Right? But it was, she, like, she had a cool title, and she had things that happened. That's why it's, like, there's, like, 70 billion fights with wizards, and I just don't care about them. Every time they're like, guys, I think we're okay from the wizards. Like, oh, look, a bunch of wizards popped up. Yeah. One of my favorite points was early in the book where they hide in the bush. The weird bush that protects them because yeah. I'm like, oh man, no wizards can get them here. <laughs> Safe um, from wizards. So I will say, and this is when I was going to go back to it. Uh, my favorite incident that happens is when they're going through these caves and they meet this weird fucking monster that's called a quasal. I love the quasal. And it's described as looking like a blob of like a four foot tall blob of blackberry jelly yeah it's basically fucking blackberry jello it's your gelatin oozing down the hallway um it's very like jrpg like i if you played a lot of super nintendo games of the jrpg format as a child like me there's always those random jellies that attack you and it's that it's exactly that you're in a cave and you get attacked by jellies this is that i love it I have never played one of those, and honestly don't even know what you're talking about, but... You've not played any of the Final Fantasy series? I didn't have a game player growing up. Fair. Um, I was from a very Super Nintendo-centric household. Uh, so I liked it because it was so weird. Like, it was not like anything else I've seen before, and it wasn't, like, from another book or a fairy tale. It was just this own little weird thing this Quasal is, like, kind of Gollum-like in that he's supposed to be protecting this key, but it, like, is also kind of scared, and... He just wants to protect his key, and these dickweeds come into his cave and steal his key? I was kind of really rooting for them to find out that they'd been a mistake in taking the key out of the cave, and find out it was very important for some reason that key stay in that cave, because I was rooting for that Quasal. It just, it wanted to live its best life, and they all tried to eat it. It's also, its name is a Quasal, which is a great name. <laughs> I was just very sad for it. Like, it was really devoted to its job. It was like a border collie, like, trying to defend its goats. And everyone was taking its goats away. Yeah. I definitely think that the only two real, like, conflicts that they have that I liked were the Quasal. And I also really liked the dragon fighting the prince. Or the knight. Yeah. Because neither one... So the dragon is a baby, and he ran away from home to kind of prove that he was a grown-up. As, like, kids do, even kid dragons. Yeah, he could have run yeah. away to the woods and build he himself a home did. in a tree. <laughs> he ran away to the Enchanted Forest. This is the um, My Side of the Mountain crossover that we need. But he also, so he finds this, he finds this knight who is also kind of, like, not the best and doesn't know what he's doing. And they decide to have, like, a tourney instead of a fight to the death. But, like, they're both you do. really bad and also, like... Both, like, thrilled about it happening, though. Like, it ends, and the knight has, like, broken his ribs, and he's like, I think that was a great fight. That thing you did with your tail was impressive. And the dragon was like, oh, that was on accident, but do you think I could maybe do it again if you thought it was good? Like, they're both so excited and thrilled about it, and it's it's really cute. Yeah. It's a cute scene. My only thing is I just feel like in a lot of ways the sort of prince versus dragon was handled better in dealing with dragons. Yeah. So that also makes it hard. But no, it was really cute. They were both so excited. It was very, it was very good. The princess was not great. I also feel like they did annoying princesses better in dealing with dragons. Yeah, I mean, they did a lot better in dealing <laughs> with dragons. I do think she really got Morwen and Telmane down. Yeah. 
Morrowind was great. When you read the other books, like especially the one from Morwen's point of view, it's like, like she really had them down from the very beginning, mm-hmm. and like their dialogue is, and I feel like, you only get maybe two times when Morwen and Telmane are together and talking, and it stands out. Like it's so much better than so much of the other dialogue in this book. Like I really loved it. I felt like those were really the highlights for me. Um, and so them getting married was very excited for me. <laughs> it was very clearly telegraphed they were getting married. I did not know who this guy was, but I'm like, oh, look, they're making sassy references at each other. I know how this ends. Yeah, I just kind of forgot that because Morwen is, uh, makes an appearance in Dealing with Dragons. Yes. But Telmain doesn't show up until... No idea who that guy is. ...the second book. Yeah. But he plays very heavily in the second and third. That's kind of what I figured. I was like, I feel like I should care about this, but I can't. Yeah. But more when I care about, so I just want her to be happy. So if it makes her happy, that's what counts. Yeah, basically he's a magician, and they've known each other since they were little. And they, like, went to school together, and they spend a lot of time, like, arguing about the best way to do magic. I like that her cats were super unhappy with it, because that is very accurate. I also thought that was funny. (laughs) And in the book where you can hear the cats talking, they're constantly, like, making fun of him. Nice. I think I actually think you'd like that book a lot. I mean, you have talking cats. Why so. didn't you have me read that one? I wanted to see how this one stood up. Gee, we need to read a book. <laughs> I know. Let me find the one I know Kelly won't like. After I gave her so many sad books the previous week. To be fair, I actually did think, in my mind, I remembered liking this book a lot. But I do think it's just because, like I said, as a kid, I do like to know how everyone ends up. Well, it is a good book. Like, and I feel like for people that read it when it first came out in 85, before the others were out, it was a lot of fun. You've just tainted me by giving me dealing with dragons first. I'm not even sorry. <laughs> You're never sorry. Uh, uh, Daystar has the nerve at some point. So Shiara gets this kitten and she names it Night Witch. Night Witch. And he's like, it was a terrible name. In his head. He doesn't say that out loud. Good, because I would have jumped in the book and punched him. Well, I agree with him. I don't like that name. It's not a good name, but you don't tell but, a girl she named her kitten a dumb name. But, Everyone knows someone that names their kitten a dumb name. But I was like, you have a lot of nerve thinking that when your name is Daystar. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's probably the worst thing that Simran has ever done. <laughs> My God. It's such a dumb name. And her, her, like, it's like, hey, Daystar, your parents both have normal fantasy names. Mendabar, Simmerine, like these are all okay, these make sense for a fantasy world. Fucking Daystar. That's what you name your cat. I assume that she well, it was weird how Daystar and Night Witch like kind of go together. Yeah. That's what you name your pair of cats. I don't know, maybe that was on purpose. Maybe this was her way of rebelling against society to name her kid a stupid name. You do not get your own weird vengeance things out through the name you give your kid. Like that's just cruel, and she's better than that. I guess she just has horrible taste in names. Uh, Everyone has to have a flaw. Ugh. Daystar. Yeah, I also think... Also, it's just... Don't name your son Daystar. You know why? The Daystar is the sun. It's a shitty pun. I guess that's true. (laughs) I hate it so much. (laughs) I hate it on, like, eight levels. I I gotta say, I didn't like the name, but I think I didn't dislike it as much as you. Every time someone said it, I just growled. Uh, it was like, mer. I also feel like Daystar and Shira come off as a little bit younger than I think they're supposed to be. Yeah. 
Like, I don't know why they just didn't make them, like, 14 or something. How old are they supposed to be? Well, they keep saying it's been 17 years, so oh. I assume that yeah. he's, like, around 16, 17. Because, yeah, Cause, I would have pinned them at, like, 13. Because she was, like, pregnant at the time. Mm. So, yeah, I would have pinned them at 13. Like, they seem way younger than they are. Which normally have, like, the opposite problem in these books, where you have 13-year-olds acting like they're fucking college students. Yeah. In this case, you just have a bunch of 17-year-olds. Acting like 13-year-olds. Acting like they're 13-year-olds. Yeah, it was weird. Like, trying to figure out if you like a girl or not. Like, you're fucking 17. Well, and also, like, I feel like how old was Cimarron when she runs away and dealing with dragons? Oh, that's true. I don't remember. But she seems older somehow. Yeah. But I think I think in that book she was only like fifteen or sixteen. Yeah, there's no middle ground. I also think so. Also in the introduction, she says was this is her first book she ever tried to write in first person mm-hmm. narration, and I think that is also one of the reasons that he comes off as kind of like a drip. <laughs> you know, I think she hasn't quite got the hang hang of giving us something more going on in his head than just exactly what he sees yeah like just describing like then we walk down this path like there's got to be a little bit more i don't know i'm with you maybe it's all back to it just being her first book yeah because we didn't get enough useful information to make him likable from first person because first person is such a useful format for giving you interesting contradictions and characters and giving you interesting information that we were not given yeah and that's upsetting I mean, it really, once you find out that this book is, was written first, I feel like a lot of other things start to make sense. Oh, totally. Which was definitely why, like, it blew my mind when I learned that not too long ago, because I never knew that as a kid. Like, obviously, why yeah. did I care? But now it's like, oh, okay, I see it. <laughs> also, in the introduction, I read the introduction and loved it, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> she says, because there's that whole thing that comes up in every book. Where they go over the fact that Kazul is, like, a she, like, a female, but is the king of dragons. Mm -hmm. And, like, in this one it comes up that dragons don't pick their sex or their name or until they're older. Mm -hmm. And she says, I wanted a fast way to demonstrate to readers that dragons don't see things the way we do, that they think differently. So I made the king of dragons a non-gender specific job title as far as the dragons were concerned. So it's like you learn a little bit of why she decided to do that. Yeah. Which was kind of, I thought, interesting. And I think it made sense to have it be that. I mean, that totally checked out for me. And it worked the first time around. It worked again. I don't know. Yeah. I just thought that you learn why she decided to do that. Yeah. No, the intro was good. It was really nice to see that kind of context for the book. It's just Dealing with Dragons was so good. And this was fine. And if I hadn't read Dealing with Dragons, I would like this book so much more. Does it make you want Because she, like, really describes basically everything that happens in the middle. Oh, my God. That was the other annoying part is, yes, I think it's hard to summarize three other books, and I appreciate they did that well. But if this is the last book in the series, A, you shouldn't need to. I felt like so much of that, like, info dump for two pages of everything that's ever happened wasn't necessary. I felt like if you're assuming it's for the reader's benefit, like, they've unless they're doing a fucking podcast, they've read the other books. And some of the information I felt like wasn't even needed to understand what was happening in this book. Like, I felt like they could have cut that info dump in half. We did not need a full summarization of everything. It could have been a lot shorter. It just, I didn't get who that was for. If it was like, 
well, telling I mean, Daystar these things, I'm like, but we don't need to be shown that. But I think that's another w- way where it becomes obvious that this was written first. Yeah. Because it was meant as a standalone, so this was just her describing, like, the backstory that led up to this, which... But when they revised it in 1995, they could have done me a favor and taken that out and been like, read other books. But did it make you want to read the other books? That specific chunk of text did not. Uh, the rest of the book did in the sense that, oh, hey, Simmerine, I missed you. I would like to read more about you. Oh, hey, Morwen, I would like to read more about you. Hey, random wizard dude whose name I don't remember. Tell me. Sure. Um, I, I, I'll read more about you. I want to know about the situation. So... The other characters made me want to read more books in this world. The two-page summary of everything actually made me less likely to, because it's like, well, I now know what happened, I guess. So, yeah, I don't think it necessarily served anything, and I don't know why it's there other than, I mean, as you said, it's the first book. I think they could have cut that out in 1995, and everyone would have been fucking fine. I'm swearing a lot today, aren't I? This book apparently made you really angry. Damn it! (laughs) Not angry, I just... I would not describe it as making me angry so much as just there's a little bit of distress in my heart that makes me swear. (laughs) Uh, This book is, like, one of its major themes is being very careful about how you phrase things. Yeah. That comes up many times. Yes. It's kind of weird. It's something that Daystar has, like, talks about how he was taught to be very careful about Mm -hmm. what you say so as not to, like, promise anything. It comes up once or twice, like... There's one part where he gets tricked, and I actually, and I quoted this a lot. It's when they first meet this princess, and she's, like, talking to them and trying to make them sound, like, feel sorry for her. And Daystar says, I'm afraid we can't help you get your kingdom back, I said. I'm very sorry, but if there's any other service I can do for you, I'd be happy to try. Daystar! Shira's voice was horrified, and suddenly I realized what I said. I swallowed. At least I'd only promised to try. She, the princess then, like, says that to give her the sword. Daystar is like, okay. <laughs> and Shira, or no, he, she says, give me your sword. And Shira is like, that is the sword of the Sleeping King. So it belongs to him, not to Daystar. So Daystar can't give you his sword. And he's like, no, you know what she meant. And then Shira's like, well, if everyone else can be picky about the way things are said, how come you can't? Like, I don't understand. And I was like, yeah, I agree with her. Yeah, she was right. I'm like, like, Daystar, come on. Yeah, it's like girls out here finding loopholes for you. And you're just like, "Ah, but we all know what the heart of the question was. Don't be a fucking narc, Daystar. You're a cop. Stop this. That's also not the whole point of being very careful about what you said. She said, and she also makes a point of, he said he'd try. And the first time he tries to take the sword off, he gets like fumbles it and it doesn't really come off and she's like well you tried and you failed so (laughs) done and it's like yeah i agree with her if people are going to be that picky about being like yeah i'm gonna hold you to your word because you tried to be polite and said this thing then like you can be that picky back about loopholes yeah i don't know if it's trying to show that he's you know somehow more noble but i don't care shiara was right it's this that's the basically the lay of the land is these verbal wormholes or These verbal loopholes. So he should be taking advantage of them. It's fine. Do it. Do it. Yeah, it was weird. It was really weird. Especially, yeah, it seemed like it came up so much. And I do like that because the fucking monkey's paw situation that we often see. I mean, I always appreciate when someone's able to sort of fight back about that kind of thing. So I, I appreciated that being an ongoing thing that he knew how to deal with these 
carefully worded situations. But Shiara had a great moment there to like get them out of it, and he didn't take it. And I try to be cool, Daystar. He can't. can't. Daystar is definitely not cool. (laughs) Can't be cool. He is the anti cool. (laughs) If there's one thing that he is not. How does someone as cool as Simmerine raise such a nerd? I say this as a nerd. Like, nerd's normally a good word, but here I do mean the what the hell Daystar connotation. I don't know. Probably too much of his dad in him. His Damn. dad's kind of a nerd. Ugh. It just comes out. That's how he knew exactly who his dad was as soon as he it's saw like, him. He was like, oh, that nerd? Oh. Yeah, that's my dad. <laughs> Lawful good. Brings checks mixed to parties. Definitely my dad. There are good points. There are. I have a lot of, like, little quotes that I thought were, like, not as funny as some of the things in, like, the other books, but, like, you can definitely see that she's getting a hold of, like, this sense of humor and stuff. Yeah. And that actually is one of them. Like, Daystar releases the spell, and the king just suddenly appears, basically. And he's like, oh, hey, dad. Like, and then they go and meet up with Shira, who's, like, kind of in the corner doing something else. And she, he's like, oh, this is my dad. And she's like, um... Are you sure? <laughs> uh, she's pretty great. I do like her. <laughs> I Like, at first I wasn't sure what I was going to think about Shiara because she is so kind of bratty and aggressive at first in a way that I'm like, oh, geez, come on. But in she's a way so that, smart. I love her. In a way her. that would make more sense if she were 13. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. It would make perfect sense for a 13-year-old. But I also love when we find out, like, so basically a bunch of wizards tried to take her to basically experiment on her. So she just went and burned all their stabs. And I'm like, yeah, girl, burn the patriarchy. Good on you. Like, she spends a lot of time messing with people that mess with her. So I like the fact she's very, you know, got got a bit of a chip on her shoulder, a few thorns externally. Yeah, would have made a lot of sense for a 13-year-old. Right? I love her, though. I like how she has that kind of, like, mean aggression. She writes that a lot where she's like, just i mean they call it a temper but a lot of it is just like <laughs> she's a lot always... of it's just her being awesome and expressing itself verbally yeah she's definitely one of those people who like calls her friends stupid stuff but you can tell she doesn't mean it like <laughs> more than once she says of someone like you're dumber than daystar <laughs> Which, even as a kid made me laugh every time like and she has like zero patience for some like anyone yeah. oh yeah it's great there's one time when like an elf is around them and they're like why are you following us and stuff and he was like i told you already i wanted to find out more about you i believe that's the usual reason for following people around (laughs) it's like that sense of sarcasm it doesn't come out quite as much in this book but when it does it's really good i liked this little part where shiara manages to set antarell the wizard who's been like bugging them the whole book on fire and there's other wizards with him at the point in time. Like, they've all attacked. Antarell caught fire almost at once. As he slapped at his clothes and his staff, trying to put out the flames, uh, the pain stopped abruptly and the key in my left hand got any hotter. That's something that's happening in Daystar. Neither of the other wizards even tried to help Antarell. They just stood and stared. <laughs> that is one thing I really appreciate, is Antarell is obnoxious and terrible, He's not a good antagonist, but he's a very satisfying antagonist that whenever he shows up and gets melted, you feel really good about it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, Antarell's here again. I can't wait for that guy to get melted. Yeah. So I guess I achieved a goal. He's definitely very, like, in the vein of, like, a bumbling antagonist. Like, it's kind of crazy he's lasted through all the books. Yeah. 
Um, but I guess it's partly because they keep melting him. And in this world, you can melt a wizard, but it's not permanent. They come back. <laughs> I just want to read you some of the dialogue between Morwen and Telmain. Because, like I said before, I think their characterization was really on point. And you don't get much of it. But I think it left me wanting more. <laughs> like, it left me being like, man, I wish you would write, like, a fifth book in this series that's just <laughs> their life together. <laughs> like, when they get married and he has to live with all these cats that hate him. <laughs> so they come across t after the battle, Morwen and Telmain, and Telmain is on the floor. Like, he's obviously been injured. Uh, and Morwen's kind of beside him. Um, and he says, what was that? He asked rather hazily. That, said Morwen, was a sword. They are long pointed and very sharp. You're lucky it didn't take your head off. Telmain started to shake his head, then winced. A plain sword. No wonder I couldn't block it. I thought it was a spell. Morwen snorted. You may be one of the greatest magical theoreticians in the world, but you don't have a particle in co of common sense, she said acidly. Why, in heaven's name, didn't you duck? I did duck, Telmain said. He was aiming for my chest, not my shoulders. And if you think I'm going to put up with you and your... And they, like, bicker for a bit longer, and then he goes... Like, where she's like, you're going to put up with me for as long as it takes to heal you, basically. And then he goes, if I have to continue lying on this floor, which is cold, hard, and extremely uncomfortable, you'll have to put up with me for a lot longer than that. <laughs> Morwen got a peculiar look on her face. I'll consider the idea carefully. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It I... was very Beatrice and Benedict, and it was definitely when it was like, yep, these two getting married. Right? Like, and it's such a cute little, like, semi-flirting but not uh, yeah it's very i like them it was very good uh there was one scene in particular that like for some reason stood out to me a little and it's so short at one point Antarell catches up with them again and again. is trying to trick them by showing up at like in a disguise as an elderly wizard as you do and saying that he wants to reward them for being so, like, nice and helping people out, basically. Which you know, that was when you knew something was going horribly wrong. Right. And so, they're, they're talking to him. Then why are you here? I said. Why, to assist you, the wizard said. Assist us, Shiara said, but you're a wizard. I am not at all concerned with your baseless prejudices, the wizard told him. I have come to offer to help your companion, and I will thank you to cease interfering. And it's like, I know it's revealed later that he's the bad guy, but, like, that by itself just put such a bad taste in my mouth. And it's like, I'm glad it did for the kids, too, who are, like, immediately suspicious. Because mm -hmm. there's just something about, like, oh, this older guy being like, oh, how dare you assume that an older guy is bad? Is it just, <laughs> like, you know what I, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just because I'm a stranger and I don't know you, like... And then being, like, kind of mean about it and being, like, stop trying to talk back to me. Just accept my help because I'm going <laughs> to give it to you because you deserve it. it. It's, like, touched home a little too much. Like, yeah. even as, like, a younger girl being, like, ooh, I don't like this. Yeah. And it's such, like, a little detail, but I don't know. I thought it was, it really stuck out. Oh, I have one. Um, Go ahead. I forgot about this one. When they go to Morwen's house and, quote, over the door was a black and gold sign in block letters that read, None of this nonsense, please. I'm going to like whoever lives here, I thought. And I'm like, me too! <laughs> that was the one moment I was like, Daystar, 
friends. They had that sign in all the other books. I know, and it makes me happy every time. So I'll literally read this every time. No, I'm glad that she puts it in every time. (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, this is... A lot of the quotes I ended up highlighting are just Shiara threatening people. (laughs) There's a lot of good Shiara threatens people. I will say, though, I did like as a kid in this book that the battle plan is very simple <laughs> because I could actually follow it like especially in fantasy books and like this happens a lot in movies too it's so complicated and I just don't care because yeah. like the whole point is like I get it there's a battle whatever but they'll be like rambling on about like why and this thing and these politics and this one was literally like oh we put a shield over their shield <laughs> we're gonna take them down you're gonna run inside that's exactly yeah. what happened because, yeah, and the sword has the ability to basically absorb and fight wizard magic. So it's like, oh, yeah, you can use your sword to break through the shield. So you're just going to go. Like, your job is just break through all this wizard stuff to get to the king. And it's like, yeah, okay, that actually sounds like a reasonable plan. Sounds uncomplicated. And I, yeah, let's do it. All right, ratings? Yeah. Great. I think this book for me is probably like a four. I debated between like a four or a 3.5. The thing is, like, I don't really love it that much. But you get the glimmers of things that are happening and i love these characters again i don't know if i would ever reread the entire book but if i felt like rereading the whole series i think i would at least do like the beginning and maybe like the end like i like seeing how mormon and telmain end up i like seeing when cimarron and mendabar are reunited like because i know both those characters and it means a lot to me to see them or like see how her kid turned out so it's not bad and i like that it like ties up a lot of knots but it's definitely the weakest link in the series like i don't remember what i gave dealing with dragons but i think the rest of the series is very high up i feel like we should write down somewhere what we rated everything because our ratings are wildly different every time (laughs) true um we should but um but i feel like the rest of the series is like pretty high up there yeah and i feel like yeah this one maybe is a four and that's only on the basis of I like it as a part of this series. Yeah, I think I'm going to give it a five um, for similar reasons. I liked it and it was fine. And I feel like a five is the ultimate rating of it's fine. I can't see myself rereading this book. But if I did go through and read the whole series, which I might because I did like the first one a lot. Um, if you're telling me the second one is good, that is helpful. So if I thought if I read the whole thing, I would probably skim through this. Just to sort of, I'm also a bit of a completionist, so I think that would make sense. But yeah, I think I'm going to go with a five. It was fine. It was fine. Yeah. I would recommend this to any kid that's read the other ones, I guess. I, I don't know if I'd recommend this as a standalone to anyone. Yeah, I guess I'd recommend it as a standalone if you're really interested in seeing the kind of like, or not a standalone even, but like reading it first maybe if you were interested in seeing just like how someone could write a book first and then write prequels that are like i don't know if you're interested in it from a writing point of view of like watching writing develop better even as you have to work kind of backwards um, it definitely yeah it definitely shows that so i think that makes sense like that could be interesting i can't think of any other examples where that's true normally like normally people write the first book first so as the series continues the writing gets stronger yeah and you also it makes it more interesting, I think, going back and being like, oh, you have to include this weird plot line because you wrote <laughs> it in the fourth book and you have to get there somehow. Like, so that could be interesting. And yeah, like you said, I'd 
I would recommend it to anyone else who's read the rest of the series. Like, why not see if how you've it read ends the up? other like, three? Just fucking go. Yeah, just finish like, it. It doesn't take that long to read. No. <laughs> like, but other than that, yeah, it's not something I'd go out of my way to give someone. Well, thank you everyone for joining us once again. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us at throwbackbookstack at gmail.com. We're also on the Twitter, and by we, I mean me. It is the royal we. Emily does not social media. Nope. So uh, if you want to get in touch with me on Twitter and tell me what you think of this book, uh, we are at throwbackbspod. Uh, we're also part of the Lady Pod Squad, so if you want to listen to other rad podcasts by female creators, um, check out the hashtag Lady Pod Squad. Uh, also, our music this week is Heartbreaker by Jazar at betterwithmusic.com. Uh, next time, we'll be hitting Sideways Stories from Wayside School. So please join us again next time. And until then, bye. I'm out. Gone forever. Into the wind. This is when I start singing the gambling. Please About don't. About 30 years ago, <laughs> on a train bound for nowhere. a book <laughs> at a borders by my house i said i'm gonna read this now <laughs> this accent is all over the place <laughs> <laughs>